This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 151. I got to hang out with Dr. Nadine Thornhill to talk about gender norms and stereotypes and how these play out, not just in the short term, not just in early childhood, but how it plays out in the long term in terms of how we show up in relationships, how we show up at work, etc., and what we can do to be supportive and mindful as we are raising these tiny humans and getting to know who they are. So many of us have biases that we are bringing to the table that come from our social programming and our childhood that we can dive into here and take a good look at and figure out what does this really look like uh, in action. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that we had so much fun on the webinar this week that we're adding a second one. We're going to hang out on Sunday, December 20th from 7.30 to 8.30 Eastern Time, PM Eastern Time, and dive into this work again. So many of you wanted to hang out last week and didn't have the time to do so. So we're adding another date. Come join us to chat about what this looks like as adults what self-regulation really looks like. How do we do it? What are the steps to us being a regulated human so that we can navigate everyday life with the tiny humans or with our partners or setting boundaries and really getting to live a life that feels really true and regulated with more peace and calm. So head on over to seedwebinar.com to sign up to join us It's totally free. We just get to hang out and have this conversation together. Seedwebinar.com. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Holy moly, am I ever ready for a mama's getaway weekend? Woof! 2020 has been a doozy, and I'm so looking forward to Mama's Getaway Weekend 2021. I will be there in tow with my tiny human as well as we dive into how to do this work. What does it look like to show up as an intentional, conscious parent and partner and person? And it can feel really overwhelming when you're scrolling through the gram or trying to gather all of the information. Mama's Getaway Weekend is a time for you to step away and work on yourself. It's so hard to see these things and work on patterns in your day-to-day life 
when you're living in it all the time. Pausing to take a minute to work on yourself is huge and goes such a long way. Mama's Getaway Weekend is my favorite weekend of the entire year. And it's a time for us to dive into these workshops together in person, in real time. Mama's Getaway Weekend tickets for 2021 are on sale and they'll never be this low again. We have a limited quantity of our early bird price tickets. Head on over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag yours and join us for the last weekend of September in 2021 in Watertown, New York to dive into this jazz. It takes a village and you don't have to have all of the answers on your own. We are here to support you. Come join us, mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your hot deal before those early bird tickets are gone. Hello, Village. Welcome back. Today, I get to hang out with Dr. Nadine Thornhill out of Canada. Yeah? Yep. Nice. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm jazzed for you to be here. Can you share with our Village a bit about who you are and kind of what brings you to this work? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a sexuality educator. And as you said, I am based in Toronto, Canada. So what I do as a sex educator, my, there are a lot of, you know, different roles a sex educator can play and sex educators uh, work with a lot of different communities, but I specifically work a lot with families and also teachers. Um, my area of focus and expertise is child and adolescent sexuality. So I work a lot with folks to just really help them navigate conversations and to help guide them as they're teaching the young people in their lives about all aspects of sexuality. Yeah, that's so rad. I think it's something that um, I know, at least when I was growing up, it wasn't as much of a conversation as it is today. And I think it's rad that we're evolving in that way and, and that there's progression. And I think we still have a long way to go. And I know personally for myself, so much of this, I grew up in like a small Christian community where it was like, we just don't talk about things. We're going to pretend periods don't exist. We, <laughs> you know, and, and so, so much of it was like me building a toolbox and just an awareness as an adult um, to bring to kids and, and the discomfort that comes with that when it's not what you grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really common experience, you know, whether it's because of the religious cultures we grew up in or, you know, even mainstream culture until very recently has been, you know, what we might call sex negative, where there's been a lot of fear and reticence around having these open conversations about sexuality, particularly with um, children and even teens, because there's this misconception that a sexuality only has to do directly with sex and, you know, little kids are not having sex. So why would we talk about it? But also there's a lot of fear that, you know, it could be harmful to them or that they're not ready for it when really what we're doing is we're helping to give them a context and an understanding of a lot of experiences that start uh, from the time that we're born and you know a lot of you know even like biological and social processes that are developing and evolving throughout childhood and adolescence so we're really just sort of saying like hey yeah this is a thing that's happening to you and these are things happening around you here's an explanation as to like, as to what, what this is. Yeah. I think that's so huge. It's like the awareness, right. And like Absolutely. building awareness of all the things. It always comes back to awareness. awareness <laughs> um, as we're going to dive into some things here, can you first break down for folks the difference between sex and gender as we navigate this conversation? Absolutely. And so I think what's important to understand is that both of both sex, and in this case, we're talking about, you know, biological sex, a set of characteristics, and gender, which is sort of, you know, 
those are more we're talking about you know the way we self-identify the way that identity informs the way we move through the world and the way that identity may inform the way people relate to us both those things are constructs there is this sort of misconception that well because the word biological is in front of sex and because it's you know rooted in a scientific framework that it's immutable and that there is no construction in science and there is so biological sex as you know, as defined, you know, currently is often considered to be a set of five characteristics. So that's genitals, gonads, which are ovaries or testicles, the, what we call sex hormones. So broadly speaking, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, which exist in the body in like different combinations in different people, chromosomes. So those could be XX, XY, XXY. There are all different actual combinations of chromosomes. And then secondary sex characteristics, which are body changes that often emerge during puberty. And so that is off, like, again, it's, it's a simplification, but broadly speaking, that's often what we use to define biological sex. And then we have gender, which is, you know, it's much broader. It's much more nuanced. People experience in all sorts of different ways. But yeah, gender is sort of your understanding of who you are, I would say, I don't even want to say within the spectrum of male and female, because there are people who identify outside of that binary. But an example of gender would be I identify and understand myself to be a woman. That's the simplest way I can think of to describe gender right now. That's so helpful. And what I'm really interested in focusing on today is the gender component in that I love that you noted that it'll also affect how others respond to us in the world, right? And that's what I'm really interested in diving into today is that not just how do we perceive ourselves in the world, but then how does that lead to how we show up and how others may perceive us and show up in relationship with us? Whether it's in a classroom setting, like who's getting called on, who's raising their hand, how are they being treated, how are they being responded to, what's the expectation through workplace and partnerships and, and that jazz. And I think we don't give enough credit to how young this starts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we are looking at gender, I think what has been at least what was the most common in my childhood, and I would say in my experience or in my village is still most common today, although there's more variance, is that based off of sex organs, gender is applied at birth, right? That's right. Um, yeah. We call that the gender assignment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then there's I, I my very first, I, my master's is in early childhood and I was teaching at a school. And I remember my first time that like in school, we had professional development where someone came in and was like, so you might have kids who you've been referring to as a boy that say like, actually I'm a girl mm-hmm. and like how to navigate this. And I remember like sitting there and it was like, one of my first exposures to this conversation. And I was like, I don't know where to start with my questions, right? Like I have so many questions. And then this time went on and I like dove deeper into this and and got to experience kids navigating gender and figuring out where within a gender spectrum they fall and, and how they identify. It became clearer, but I think there are so many folks who walk into this. Somebody the other day just said to me like, my three-year-old is only the second three-year-old I've really ever been around, you know? And so I want to break this down for folks that uh, might be navigating these conversations or getting curious about like how I interact with my tiny human now and how that can inform how they will show up in the world and how others might perceive them. Um, And I think often when we're talking about gender, we'll talk uh, like there's a very surface conversation of like, what toys we say are for boys or girls, or even what's marketed to us as for boys or for girls. Um, I was just in a secondhand clothes store the other day and it was like the boys section and the girls section. And I was like, they're babies, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
this is wild. It starts so young. It's a newborn. It doesn't matter which onesie it's in. And, but then down to like, all right, now what are we expecting from them? How are we expecting them to show up in the world? Like the idea of like, boys will be boys. Um, or, oh, she's so emotional. She's so dramatic. Like those are things that I started to hear come up more and more in the village. And I was like, we got to have this conversation. Okay. <laughs> so let's do it. So what are, can you chat a bit about like, what are some of the longer term impacts of gender norms and stereotypes? Like how do those norms impact how folks are showing up in the world and people might perceive them? Absolutely. And, you know, as human beings, you know, we, we have a need to connect to other human beings. And so, you know, part of how that happens for us is that we're sort of hardwired and some people are, I guess, harder wired with this tendency than others, but there is, you know, this sort of hardwiring and this tendency to watch other people and to gauge sort of, you know, what are they doing and what can I do to sort of gain, like to get their attention, to gain their acceptance, you know, who is my tribe? Who are my people? And we need to connect with each other in that way to survive. You know, even a baby, like a baby is not going to survive all by itself. It needs other humans to, you know, protect it, to raise it, to make sure that it grows up. But then even once we are adults, we need each other. And so part of what happens there is that Gender is a construct that sort of, you know, gives us a shorthand and we can use that shorthand to sort of say like, okay, you know, yeah, like I was born with these body parts. I was given this assignment. I was told like, you know, here's a word that people ascribe to me, you know, girl, boy, male, female. Again, it exists in this like very narrow, insufficient binary, but There is a natural tendency, you know, again, when we're young and we're children to be like, okay, I have this word, I have this label ascribed to me. And so what does that mean? And how do I use that? And how do I perform this role in a way such that I can gain acceptance? And so it's, I think, very natural and understandable that a lot of us, even from the time we're little, will sort of think like, okay, let me watch other people who have this label and try to figure out, you know, how I can emulate that or how I want to emulate that. But I think the issue is that, again, there it, it's a construct. It's a thing we made up where humans were flawed. And a lot of our constructs are, you know, they're flawed, they're lacking, they're insufficient, they don't have the nuance because they're designed, again, to give us this shorthand. They aren't designed so we're like, yeah, let me sit here and think about this and analyze all the actual data that's in front of me because, oh my gosh, it's just so much. Like if we're doing that with all of the input we get from every person and every encounter, we would never get anything done. So they aren't, you know, gender, like a lot of our social constructs are not complete whole, like sort of holistic constructs, they're limiting. And so I think, yeah, what winds up happening is people bump up against those limitations. And then, you know, again, especially I think for children, because we're not always having these conversations, we don't have to necessarily always know we need to have the conversations. We because, you know, we don't know that maybe kids are sort of inside their own heads trying to sort this stuff out. They're like, oh, okay, this isn't quite working for me. What do I do? Uh, mm, uh. Um, and sometimes there's a tendency to just say, okay, I'm just going to copy other people. So, you know, if I'm a little girl and I've been told, well, little girls are supposed to behave this way, but there's a part of me that's saying like, I don't really want to, or that doesn't sit well with me or it doesn't appeal to me, but also I want the other girls to accept me. And I know now that, you know, as a girl someday I'm going to be a woman. And so I want the women in my life to accept me. So I'm going to try to maybe repress this or reframe this or something, you know, and that carries over into like throughout our lives. And then at a certain point, it can start to feel just very normal to fight against, you know, some of our just natural personal individual inclinations if they don't 
align with what we feel we have to do to perform our gender. And again, that experience is going to be very different for different people. So for some people, you know, that desire to sort of repress and fit in is going to be stronger for other people, the desire to, you know, really honor who they are as individuals is going to be stronger, which I think is why you see some people who are like, look, I know who I am and I will fight tooth and nail to be that person in the world. Whereas you see other people where it may be like, it may be very late in life or never before they're really able to embrace who they are and explore that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, well, and I think like, you know, you mentioned the all right, if I'm a girl and I want to fit in with the other girls and then eventually with the women, I think part of that also is that desire for success in whatever that looks like, right? Like how do I have to perform in this role that's expected of me in order to be successful in whatever that is, successful in relationship, successful in work, successful across the board, right? In my experience as a woman in the world, when I have used my voice in a meeting to disagree with something or been what I would consider like confident or powerful or strong, it hasn't always been received well and it hasn't helped me be successful necessarily. And so I think part of it is like, I want to give kids the tools to be fully who they are. And like, I'm thinking right now of this little boy, I was giving a workshop to just dads last fall. And this dad was sharing like, yeah, I want my little boy to be able to cry and to let me know how he's feeling and to express. He's like, but also I don't want him to get made fun of. And like, right, this expectation of like, because he's a boy, how's he supposed to show up in the world? And then what, how will he be perceived by others? And then what are the effects of that, right? That it's like these dominoes that we're afraid will fall. And so I think beyond like, I want to be accepted. I think part of it is the fear of like, if I'm not accepted, what's at risk? Absolutely. And, and that fear is, it's real. And I don't want to diminish or be dishonest and say that, you know, there aren't real consequences for defying those roles. So for example, it's a podcast, so I know people can't see me, but I am a black woman and I grew up as a black girl. So even, you know, being black in and moving through the world, you know, that added another layer to my experience of gender because 
I grew up in a society where not only are there, you know, expectations of me as a, as a girl and a woman, but then, you know, you layer something like white supremacy over that, which says that, you know, femininity in particular, and I do, I think, have a lot of like natural tendencies to be, to want to be what we would define as feminine. In certain ways, just because of the body I live in, I can't embody femininity the way I was taught that it should be embodied because, you know, for example, um, you know, the natural texture of my hair is kinky and it's curly and it tends to like shrink up. So I have this like really kinky kind of short hair where, you know, the feminine ideal is long flowing hair, you know, blackness in our society is very much equated with strength, like with this kind of brute strength, invulnerable, you know, and as a person who is very like emotionally sensitive, people do not often don't perceive that sensitivity and that, um, you know, I don't want to say emotional fragility. And so I'm just going to say, yeah, emotional sensitivity in me just because of the body that I live in. And so, you know, I grew up and continue to move through society in a way where a lot of people are just like, just because of what I look like and the body I'm in, the color of my skin, because of the features of my face, the type of hair I have, I can never achieve femininity at the level that is expected. Like I can't do it. And there are real consequences for that. And there have been real consequences for that throughout my life where I've experienced harm, where I've experienced prejudice, where, yeah, it has been, you know, and it, yeah, where I do experience barriers to success because of that, where I've been, you know, threatened or put into danger because of those things. And so I'm like, yeah, the fear is real. It's not that people are just making it up in their own heads. When you were talking about, you know, this father who wants his, you know, little boy to be able to be sensitive and to express those emotions. And then there's this fear that he might get picked on, you know, depending on where they are, you know, you might get physically harmed because of that. And so, yeah, those are real fears that we have to navigate as parents and that we have to, you know, deal with. Yeah. And I think so much of that does come back to gender of like, if that little boy was a little girl and they were crying at school, the reaction from their peers would likely be different. The expectation would be different, right? Because of the gender constructs that we, within which we live. And so I do want to, I guess, like, I think the hard part for me to like balance with all of this is like the world I want to live in <laughs> and the world that we live in. Like our brains are designed to be like familiar, unfamiliar, right? Like categorize in a binary sense. And so yeah. uh, when things come up for us and we're like, okay, it, it, this starts with kids from so young where they'll be like, are you a boy or a girl? Th like this question has come up with kids in my world so many times where kids are asking, is she a boy or a girl? Are they a boy or a girl? Are you a boy or a girl? Like they want to know this, this is categorization in a binary sense. And I think our, we're like, like you said, if we were constantly analyzing all mm -hmm. of the things all of the time, getting anything done or moving through the world would be very difficult. And so we're taking in information and sensory input all the time and just filtering it out. We're categorizing, we're filtering, right? Like I just heard a car go by and my brain as I'm chatting with you is like, not important, don't pay attention to it, right? Exactly. And like yeah. filtering information all of the time. And so when we're walking through the world like this and we come into a space where we're like, okay, what I know to be female or male in a binary construct, now this is being challenged or is different, the brain's going to take a beat and needs to take a beat to be like, wait, I need to understand this. Like, but which category do you fit into? Because I have two and you don't seem to fit into either, you know? And so I think part of this is both like reckoning with the like, how do we support this from a brain development perspective as we are so designed to categorize? Yeah, let's start there. What do we do with that? Okay. And so I think that something we can do is work on um, accepting the messiness and accepting it ourselves and also helping our children learn to accept the messiness. And I think part of the messiness is it's not going to be a thing that's going to happen for our kids like 
right away. Like we're not going to sit down and have like one conversation with them and they'll be like, Oh, okay. I'm super comfortable with like, you know, not being able to categorize things and, you know, not being able to make these shortcuts because, you know, as we've been saying, you know, I believe that that really is a natural inclination of the human mind. And so it's sort of, I don't even think we have to get comfortable with it again. I think it's just accepting like, yeah, sometimes we can't and that doesn't necessarily feel good, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. And so, you know, like you were saying that, you know, right now we still live in this society and in these cultures where gender binary is, you know, foisted on us from day one. Like if you have a baby who's born in the hospital, they're going to get wrapped in a blanket or like have a little hat put on their head that's pink or blue um, to, you know, let everybody know what their gender assignment is. I don't know what happens when a baby is intersex, but yeah. So I'm like, this has been ingrained in kids from like the, like, like from their very first day on earth. So I'm like, so it makes sense that by the time they're verbal or by the time they're able to communicate, they're already like, who is this person? Who is this person? Boy, girl, boy, girl. And so something we can say to them is, I don't know. I don't know that person. I don't know if they're a boy or a girl. Um, and they may keep asking and they may think like, I want to know, I need to know. And we can say to them, you actually don't need to know. Like, you know, it's, it's okay because that's a human being and we can, you know, treat them kindly and treat them with respect and we can get to know them. You know, if it's someone that you're actually going to interact with, then, you know, we might instruct them that, you know, we can talk to them about what our gender is. So when we, you know, getting them used to introducing themselves and saying like, hi, this is my name, these are my pronouns, um, and creating that opening. But also I think making space for acknowledging like, yeah, you know what, sometimes it can feel kind of confusing if we don't know what somebody's gender is, if we don't know if they're a boy or if they're a girl, or, you know, some people sort of, you know, feel like they're kind of a mix of both. Some people really aren't boys or girls. There are a lot of different ways that, you know, we might feel about those parts of who we are and we don't always know with other people. So the best thing we can do is, you know, if it's someone that we're not going to talk to, you know, like if it's just someone walking down the street, it's okay if we don't know um, because that's not really a person in our life. And if it is a person in our life, the best thing we can do is just listen to them and whatever they tell us they are, we just say, okay. Um, and to keep reiterating that, like I said, that's not a one-time conversation. So to talk about it, model it as best as possible. And, you know, it's, I think it's okay to talk to kids sometimes and say like, you know what, I'm not sure, you know, about people's gender. And sometimes that makes me, I feel kind of odd about that, but it really, it's okay. Like, it's yeah. I, I love that you also noted in there that it is that we can we can acknowledge that they're a human and continue to bring it back to that we can treat them with kindness and respect and get to know their interests. My niece a couple of years ago, she had joined a new soccer team with her twin brother and they come back from their first day and they're just like two vastly different humans in terms of how they connect with the world. And she came home and she was like, I learned this person, I learned about this person, I learned about this person, and this is what their interests are. Like, she was so excited to share, like, here's what they're interested in, because for her, she's constantly looking at, like, how do I connect with humans based off of their interests? So she really wants to know, like, and I, I would share stories of kids in my classroom, and she would say, like, oh, what does she like to do? Or what do they like to do? Like, constantly asking, like, what are they interested in? And I think that that's so rad because what she was really saying is like, oh, anything's on the table. That they can be interested in anything. And I just get to find out what their unique interests are and treat them as a human. And I have like taken this with me of like, how do I continue to instill this in kiddos? Um, and I think you just broke it down so nicely in there, like wound up right in there, but that it doesn't really matter what their gender is. We can treat them as a human and knowing their gender wouldn't give us more information about them as a human. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is this perceived notion right now that if we knew their gender, we would know more things about them. Absolutely. And I mean, I think even about, you know, people who have gender reveal parties 
And, you know, I don't want to crack down too hard on anyone, you know, who might be having a gender reveal party, because I think part of what motivates that is this idea that if you know the gender and really, I'm always like, what you're finding out is what kind of genitals your baby has. Like, you don't know anything about that person, but it makes us feel like we know something about the person who's coming into the world. And again, like, I don't think the impulse to want to know about, you know, the baby that is going to be, you know, living in your home or the baby who's going to be part of your family or a baby, you know, who's going to be so important to someone who may be a close friend that you love. I don't think that the impulse to say like, I'm excited and I just want to feel like I know something more about this human who is now kind of concealed within a uterus is a bad one. I think that actually often comes from a very kind, loving place of just being really excited about a new human who's coming in the world. But also like you don't really know anything about them as a person. You don't know anything more about them as a person than you did before you cut the cake or burst the balloon or whatever. This is just something that kind of will allow you to sort of enhance whatever the fantasy is that you have of who this person might be. And so I'm like, I don't want to take that fantasy away from you. I think that's one of, you know, that can be such a fun and important part of, you know, waiting for somebody new to come into your life is, you know, sort of dreaming and having hope and anticipation. I think all of that is wonderful, but I'm like, you know, I think it maybe is also okay to say, this is, these are just like hopes. These are like right now, this is just fantasy. Some of it is going to come true and some of it invariably is not. I don't know. And again, I don't, I think we're just very uncomfortable as humans with, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not prepared. And the thing is, you know, any of us who have had children, no matter how they've come into our lives, I'm like, I will put significant money down on the fact that you were not prepared. (laughs) Even if you did a lot to get prepared, you weren't prepared. And that kid threw a bunch of curveballs at you. Right. No, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We were just having this chat. We had a team meeting yesterday and um, someone on my team has two kiddos and she was like, you know, with my first kid, I was like, I've got this. I am rocking this. And then my second kid came and is vastly different than my first kid in terms of how they show up in the world and how they navigate the world and their interests and all that jazz. And she was like, and it turns out uh, it's my dose of humble pie. Like I was not prepared for this. Right. And so I think like, even if you have kids, like it could be your fourth that you're like, oh, this one's different. Like, and like, yeah. And, and maybe by your fourth or fifth, you're sort of prepared for the fact that you're not prepared, but <laughs> right. you're not prepared, you don't know. Um, but totally. again, yeah, I think it's that. So yeah, you know, going back to the idea of it's okay not to know things and it's okay to feel uncomfortable because you don't know things. But I also think that we can do a lot of harm when we try, especially when we try to force other people to conform to the preconceived notions that we came up with because those preconceived notions made us feel more secure, more prepared, and more in control of an uncertain future. Totally. I think that that's huge. Yeah, I love that. I love hearing about what you are snagging from our gift guide. If you haven't snagged that gift guide yet, head to seedandsew.org slash gift guide and snag your free guide to take you through the holiday season and purchase with intention. Someone asked me recently in one of my Q&As on Instagram what I was most excited about for this growing human. And I was like, I just am excited to get to know them. And I really am. Like, I just want to get to know them. And that's it. Because I have no control outside of getting to know them. Well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And in responding to who they are. It's why none of this is one size fits all. 
one thing that I'm curious about how to build, I know like growing up, I was so unaware of messaging, whether it's like media or mm -hmm. social messaging, et cetera, that was affecting how I was showing up in the world, how I felt about myself. What are your thoughts on like, how do we build this awareness from kiddos from the beginning? Like we'll watch a show and a commercial will pop up and I'll leave with like a feeling and I'll go to talk about it to my husband. He was like, well, Liz, that's like what they wanted you to feel, right? Like you were just being sold to and they did their job really well. And now you think you need this thing or you need to change this thing to feel differently. But they made you feel this way in the first place. Right. And he's just like aware of the messaging in a way that like takes me a beat that I have to do more work to like be aware of like, oh, I'm comparing myself to this thing or now I don't feel like I'm enough of whatever. I grew, I have four brothers. I'm the only girl. And I would say like in the span of femininity, I'm not very feminine, but like had that pushed on me as the only girl in a family of boys, like could only wear dresses to school until a certain age, except for gym days and whatever. And now like have fully gone the other side. And I'm like, I don't know how to do feminine things, <laughs> but like, we'll find myself in comparison, you know? And like, yeah. and even, and I think that so much of it is also the expectation of like, what does professionalism look like as a woman? What, how are we supposed to show up in the world? And this is messaging that I think we're being fed all of the time. And I want to know how do I support the tiny humans in building awareness of this messaging from a young age? So something that I'm a really big fan of is just asking children questions and letting them, you know, letting that be the catalyst for them mulling things over. And again, children are very different. So some kids are going to respond to a question with like, no, I don't know. Um, some kids will, you know, give you an entire dissertation, but just, I think even by prompting them with a question, you're still encouraging and modeling that, that inquisitive inquisitiveness. So uh, I love the example you gave of an ad. So let's say, you know, you're with your kid and you're watching TV and an ad comes on or you're streaming something or an ad comes on and let's say it's an ad for toys and let's say it's an ad for dinosaur toys and you note to yourself, well, okay, in this ad for dinosaur toys, all the children who are playing um, appear to be masculine. Uh, they have like a masculine gender presentation. Because again, we don't know what their gender is specifically, but you know, we can be real with ourselves and be like, okay, this seems like they're really pushing this towards kids to identify as boys. And so something you can say to your kid is, you know, you might just start off with a question of, you know, did you think all those kids were boys? And they might be like, yeah. And you could say, why do you think there were only boys? And just let them like, like, just let them talk or theorize. They may not know. They may have their own theories. So if they're just like, huh, I don't know. You might fill in for a minute and be like, yeah, I was wondering if they think it's because only boys like dinosaur toys. Do you think only boys like dinosaur toys? Like what if girls want to play with dinosaur toys? And again, like if they're not super receptive to the conversation, like you can let it go because you've already sort of planted that nugget in their head of like, oh, okay. When I'm watching stuff, I can ask questions about it. You know, you could ask like, who do you think that ad was for? Like, do you think it was for kids or adults? Do you, you know, what kind of kids, et cetera, et cetera. Just to like sort of help them to be aware that A, this is like, these are choices that someone made for, that somebody made. You know, this isn't just what's happening in the world. Like, it, like these kids didn't just show up on TV playing with dinosaur toys because that's the natural order of things. Those were decisions that were made. But also that, yeah, you can just question those things and you can be curious about those things. You know, and then they can sort of start to think about how they feel about it. You know, because, you know, if you have a child, if you happen to have a child who's not a boy, who's watching the dinosaur ad, who might be like, hey, those dinosaurs look really cool, but I don't know if this is for me, then that might get them thinking of like, oh, just because I saw that in the ad, that doesn't mean that I can't also like dinosaur toys. Or you might have a kid who is a boy who's just like, yeah, dinosaur toys. Like, I don't care who else is playing with dinosaur toys. And that's fine too. Um, but again, that questioning can just sort of 
train them to think and to question and to hopefully start to understand that like, hey, I don't have to just go along with this because this is the thing I'm being shown. I can challenge it. I can question it. I can make different choices if I want to. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, I love that. Like, does that actually bring you joy? What does bring you joy? What yeah. do you want? What yeah. Um, you know, that could, yeah. that could also be a question, too, that isn't necessarily rooted in gender of, like, what do you think of those toys? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, is that a thing you would want to play with? And again, you can ask that sort of regardless of gender because it is, you know, especially when it comes to like play and pleasure and joy, you know, I'm very anti trying to push kids towards or away from the things that bring them joy. I've certainly spoken to a lot of people, particularly who are parenting girls who become very concerned when they're like, oh, like my girl is just they're into pink things and they're into princess things. And oh my gosh, like, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to raise this like super girly princessy kid. And I'm like, but if that's what they like right now, I'm like, there's nothing inherently wrong with pink. There's nothing inherently wrong with sparkles and dresses and feeling pretty. Like we don't have to denigrate or devalue things that are connected to femininity. And I'm like, if that's bringing your kid joy, it's fine. Like Mm -hmm. they can enjoy that. What we don't want to do, what we want to be conscious of is not limiting them. Um, And just sort of checking in and making sure that it's not, oh, I'm wearing a pink sparkly dress and I hate it, but I just feel like this is my only option. So fine. But I'm like, if they're like, if they light up when they put on like a little plastic princess crown, let them light up, man. Like totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, We were, Zach and I were just chatting about this in terms of like clothes as I love to shop and very much like secondhand browsing right now as a nice coping mechanism. And we were chatting about clothes and he was like, I don't think it makes sense to put any human in a dress between like once they're crawling and until they've like mastered walking unless they choose to. He's like, it just seems like it would be in the way. Like they're trying to move. It's not going to support their movement. And I was like, First of all, I like that this is where your head's at, but also um, I was like, yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I was like, but then if they want to wear a dress, they should be able to wear a dress. He was like, oh, totally. If they want to wear a dress, totally. They should be able to. He's like, but I just don't think it's practical for them as they're trying to move. And I was thinking of this human who I had in my classroom. I had her and her twin sister and they um, were like largely just like gender neutral clothing, whatever. There were three kids and 
kids were just sent to school in whatever they were wearing at that point. And <laughs> three under three, we're like, you survived, yeah, you're yeah. here in school. Yeah. You <laughs> Cheers. Um, and she would come in and would go right over. We had like a bin of clothes and things that they could, scarves and things like that. And she would go over and she'd put on a dress and she'd wear it all day and every day. And so finally I said like, hey, uh, she keeps coming in and like putting on this dress and just wants to wear it all day. I'm wondering if you have any dresses at home mm. that she could use, explore with, et cetera, try on wear and they were like oh my gosh like yeah we never even thought of dresses for our kids yeah we can do that but like she initiated this and I think there was this inclination one of the moms was like I, I don't know what to do with a girl with dresses like this isn't my thing and I was like just let her do her thing right it doesn't have to be your thing she can do her thing here well yeah. and I always say I'm like all clothes are gender control like the mm. gendering of clothes, again, is a thing that we made up. Mm. Um, you can put a dress on any body and it, it's fine. The dress does not inherently change their gender. Right. Um, it's funny that your partner said that because I feel personally, and this may be just how like my own body, I find dresses less constrictive than pants. Oh, interesting. Um, and, uh, my kid, when he was little, very much liked dresses and skirts. Cause I think having like the fabric sort of away from the legs doesn't impede you. Whereas pants, depending on the fit, especially right. around the knees, I find are a little constricting. Um, oh, so with so like bending and stuff like that, whereas I'm like, yeah, like if I'm wearing a skirt, I can kick my leg like as high as I want to. And I understand again, like, you know, as an adult who you know, still does adhere to the rules of society sometimes. And like, yeah, as a grown up, if I'm conscious about like, oh, don't flash my underwear. Yeah, it's a little restrictive. But I'm like, when you're a kid and you're running around, if you don't care, I was like, yeah, you can move your legs all over the place, unless it's like a body conscious dress. But I'm like, who, like, they're, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> body conscious dresses for like two year olds. No, this was mostly for like crawling kids that if you're on your hands and knees, he was like, I feel like it's going to get in the way and be annoying. And I was like, it might. Yeah. Cause it could like fold up under your knees. Yeah. And get um, tucked. Yeah. So just interesting to think about. And earlier when you were chatting, a thing popped up. My husband grew up in a home with two moms and when he would share, he has shared with me later that like they'd be watching a movie or watching show and there would just be comments made like, interesting there isn't a female lead in this mm -hmm. or just like little notes um that would come up that like helped I think build that awareness for him that like I wasn't getting that I was just like oh I love this show never taking in like oh yeah I'm not there is no female lead in that <laughs> um or representation in any manner across the board uh but just like that awareness I think just bringing awareness to it without more conversation. It would just be like a one liner of like, huh, interesting. That's not absolutely. Enough. Absolutely. Cause yeah. And like, you don't want to like ruin the show for your kid and yourself. You know, you don't have to be doing like a play by play, which sometimes <laughs> I will lapse into. And then, you know, my kid will turn to me and just be like, can I watch this? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, and my kid now is 13 and what really cool is that, you know, even though, yeah, my child personally was never one of those children where I would ask, you know, an open-ended question and we'd have like this whole long conversation. I'd get like a one, two word answer, but now like recently we were watching uh, the Simpsons together, which thrilled me to no end. Um, but he would turn to me, like he, he'll turn to me every once in a while when we're watching, um, you know, and he'll observe how like Homer or Marge are reacting to the kids as parents and be like, do you ever feel like this about me? Hmm. Do you ever think this? Um, you know, and we'll talk about the relationships and the dynamics between the characters and things like that. So I was like, oh, that, and I mean, it's not all the time, but I was like, oh, okay. He is like yeah. thinking and analyzing and questioning, like, how does this relate to, you know, my experience in real life and whatnot. So that's sort of, yeah, it's cool and encouraging to see. And then it gives us an opportunity to have, conversations again they're pretty short because he's 13 and talking to his mom is like not high on his list of priorities mm -hmm. but it's happening you know the conversation is happening yeah and I think that's rad and it's just again demonstrating that like he's aware of some of these things and as yeah. we a little girl in my life said something we were having a conversation and she said 
oh, girls can't be president. And I was like, that makes sense that it feels like girls can't be yeah. president, right? Happened. Like, yeah, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it does feel like girls can't be president. Right now, I don't know that a girl can be president. Legally, yes. I don't know that practically that would happen in our society right now. And like, that's a bummer to like, I want, there, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, yes, they can. Like, <laughs> and really that was just, I was like, eh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to regulate that part and acknowledge for her that, it does feel that way. It doesn't feel like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and again, you know, and it may not be in that moment, it may be later, it could be like, you know, why do you think that, you know, it does like, yeah, why, why do you think girls can't be president? Like what might happen if a girl was president, you know, and again, just sort of layering in those possibilities and, and exploring that because I think, yeah, you can acknowledge like, it may feel like that right now and it hasn't happened. So like valid that that's your observation. Um, but there's also room to explore like, what's that about? Because, yeah. you know, and, and exploring and eventually opening up the dialogue about like, it's not because there's anything about being a girl that is inherently disqualified. Like, there's nothing about the job of president that someone who's a woman couldn't do it. Totally. Um, so, totally. and that's, you know, and that can be an opportunity to start opening up conversations about, you know, some of those realities, like, you know, there are prejudices and there's oppression and all of that stuff is really crappy. It mm-hmm. exists, but it's crappy and it's not fair and it's not okay. Um, and to go like way back to the conversation with, you know, that uh, one father with his son, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't have to pretend that, you know, getting picked on for being different is not a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can you can do what you can to make your home a safe space. And I think you can support your kids in being who they want to be out in the world. And then if something bad happens, I think you can, again, because if you've made your home that safe space in that same container, have the discussions and the acknowledgement and process like, look, you know, if those kids made fun of you for crying, that's awful and I'm sorry. And let's talk about why it's not okay that they did that to you. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that may not feel good for you. And we can talk about, you know, how you want to show up at school tomorrow, but also there's nothing wrong with who you are. Yeah. But there are things that are wrong with the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are some things wrong with how we're taught to engage with other people and you encounter that. and yikes yeah for sure well and i you know you're we talking about how race plays a role here too earlier and that the reality is that right now the world that we live in isn't necessarily safe for you to just show up as you are or mm-hmm. as a vulnerable human or with your messy self in different spaces and so i'm glad you noted that like you can create a safe space at home for these kiddos to be who they are and also have conversations about what it might look like to be safe in the world right now. Um, and I think, and this is something that I know it's, it's scary for me to consider as a parent. And I think, and I, it may be scary for other people who are listening. I think that you can let your kids take the lead in what they feel they need to do with their safety Um, oftentimes, like, unless we're talking about a situation where their literal life is in danger. So I'm thinking about things like, um, you know, for me, I can relate it to having an encounter with the police, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and conversations that we have in black families about how to interact with police. You know, that's something where I find like parents are like imperative about this is how you need to behave because it literally feels like life or death. Like this could be the difference between you getting shot and you coming home. So this is a non-negotiable, but with other things like, you know, being accepted in a friend's group, you know, just navigating those sort of social situations. I think it's okay even with little kids to say like, to encourage them to think about what they want to do because in, and if we're talking about things like say gender expression or taking on a gender role. So let's say, you know, you have a boy who's like, I just like pink sparkly dresses and I want to wear them. I think it's okay to say like, okay, so what do you want to do when you go to school tomorrow? Like if they go and they've had a bad experience, if somebody picked on them or somebody called them a name and they come home and they're upset and we unpack it and we do some processing. And then I think you can say, okay, like, what do you want to do tomorrow? 
and let them decide. And if they decide like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go and I want to wear pants because I don't want to get picked on. You know, I think we can, we can affirm that and say like, you know what, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. I just want you to know once again, like it is totally okay. If you want to wear dresses, you are welcome to wear dresses in the house. You are welcome to wear dresses any place you want to, but if you don't want to wear a dress to school, you don't have to. If they decide like, I'm going to go back tomorrow and I'm going to wear my dress. I think it's also okay to be like, okay, okay. I'm here for you. Like I've got your back. What can I do to help? And sometimes, you know, you might intervene. You might like, you know, if they have a receptive teacher, you know, you might go talk to the teacher or to the staff at school. But if, you know, it's kind of like, I know that they're going to go to school tomorrow and they're going to be kind of on their own with this. And you can be like, okay, but you know, I've got you. And I support you and I love you because I don't think it's ever actually helpful to try and repress who someone really needs to be because I'm like, that's just added pain. And if they are that compelled, like, you know, if you have that kid who's like, I'm sorry, I am just a dress wearing person. Even if they don't wear the dress, it's going to come out in other ways. And the other kids are going to pick up on it instinctively. And it's whatever's going to happen is still going to happen. Like, I really don't think that we're actually good at hiding who we actually are and other people, even if they're like, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about them. Like it's like they pick up on our energy or something, you know? And as a, as a girl who like grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, obviously I couldn't hide the fact that I was black, but I was just, I was very different from a lot of my peers, not only racially, but in other ways. And I tried so hard to fit in. Like I was trying to protect myself and I was like, they knew, mm-hmm. like they knew that I was like, they were like, that's no, or like, you're <laughs> not like that really. We can tell. And so the kids who were sort of driven to ostracize me or pick on me or make fun of me, they did it anyway. Yeah. They really yeah. Did. And it's so scary, right? Like I, we've talked about this a bunch in the village. The goal isn't that our kids don't feel hard things. Mm-hmm. It's that they have a toolbox and a place to turn when they do feel and experience hard things but man that desire to prevent it from happening (laughs) is so strong and it's so real yeah yeah and I I I fight it all the time and there are times where I've really failed at it you know um and I will and I always regret it like when I think back on times where I have tried to force my son to go against his nature because I was afraid of what would happen to him. And I was afraid of how other people would react. And I look back and I'm like, you know, all I did is I just took myself out of, you know, the list of safe people and places that he could turn when he was already having a hard time because he wasn't being accepted other places. And I like that breaks my heart. And I really like, those are amongst my biggest regrets as a parent. Um, you know, and I'm like, if I could turn back time, I would make a different choice and be like, yeah, like, I'm sorry, you had a hard day. I'm sorry. People were not cool with you. I love you. You know, you're home now you're safe here. So I think the more we can do that, the better off our kids will be. Yeah. I love it so much. And Oh, it's so hard to do. It's so hard. It's so hard to want them to be okay all the time. It's yeah. so painful when they're not okay. Mm-hmm. It's so painful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love this and I'm so grateful to get to learn from you. And I hope that folks will come and follow you and continue to learn from you. Where can people find you, Nadine? So uh, people can find me on my website, uh, nadinethornhill.com. I also has a, have a YouTube channel, which is Nadine Thornhill. And then I am on Twitter and Instagram at Nadine Thornhill. If you just Google Nadine Thornhill, then you can find me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so helpful. It's all the yeah, same. Yeah, I keep it like really straightforward with all of my social media. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I've loved following you. I follow you over on the gram and I find your content so helpful and useful. And oh, also a breath of fresh air. I think so much of this, it's triggering for us as we're navigating it as adults and figuring out what this means for us. And if we're doing like reparenting work and learning and unlearning and all that, and then to every day be responsible for another human that we're doing this with. It can feel so overwhelming. And I find your Instagram to be really comforting and helpful and not shameful. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in it too every day. And like you said, that 
unlearning and relearning and like reparenting yourself while parenting other it is a lot um and like i said it's it's messy so i'm just i too i'm just trying to be like accept the mess accept the mess okay. <laughs> um yeah yeah rad well thank you so much for joining me we'll link to everything in the blog post for those who are tuning in and maybe on the go um they can access all your things in the blog post thank you so much Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. And I love your podcast. I listen thank to you. it regularly. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook search seed and sow colon voices of your village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.